Thank you all so much uh, for the opportunity to be here. Let me go ahead and uh, get this started. All right. How's everybody feeling? Good? All right. Kid you not, I almost tripped over this thing right now when I, when I got up there. But, um, you know what? I, I told myself I wasn't going to do this, but, you know, it's, it's almost Friday, so if you all don't mind, I won't mind either. But I'll go ahead and, and just speak loudly and, and try to engage everybody here, right? Um, Typically what happens is when you're eating and you get a PowerPoint presentation, you start getting very technical with your jargon, um, you tend to really feel the food settling down, and maybe that might cause a little bit of slumber, right? And so when we start talking about economic development, or in some cases, you know, it can be a little daunting to be able to, to pay close attention to it. But um, it's, it's a really distinct pleasure to be able to, to remain in the valley, first and foremost. I'm, I'm a product of the valley. I was born and raised in Brownsville, but I've been all over the place. And uh, I was one of those uh, case studies, I, I guess you can call it, folks that have left the valley, have done some work, and then came back, right? I know Jim Darling, when, when he was a mayor. Uh, Could you just use the microphone? Oh, of course. Some people who can't really, don't have the best of hearing. Much, much better? Yes. There it is. Uh, I know former mayor Jim Darling during his time as mayor, he would talk a lot about the brain drain. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very cognizant of that issue. And so, again, it's, it's a very immense pleasure to be able to, to be here and serve this area that has provided a lot of opportunities for not only myself, but for my family and friends. And uh, today, you know, I've been, I've been asked to talk for, um, I think Elvis said, for three hours, I think. <laughs> I think it was either three hours or 20 minutes. We'll do, 20 minutes. we'll do the abridged version. Uh, to talk about the chamber, right? And, and, and I've actually started this position since the 29th of June. And the first thing that I wanted to engage in is to talk to as many people as I possibly could to start developing this new idea of what the chamber should be or should do moving forward. And, and I've had a lot of pleasant experiences, and, and I see a lot of familiar faces as well in this group. And if I've spoken to you before and we've taken the time to talk about the chamber, I, I thank you again. Uh, you guys have left a very good impression on me and the welcome that, that I've received as well as my family. We felt it as a very warm welcome. So after some time and, and, and now starting a new fiscal year, I can say that we've developed a collective vision and mission of what the chamber should be doing, right? And, and it goes without saying that for somebody to provide over 24 years of service to the community, that should never go unnoticed. We're building on top of that, and, and it's something that we should respect and be able to continuously improve on. So I think it was also uh, equally as important for us to, to talk a little bit about the history of, of where we begun, because a lot of folks that I've talked to, uh, they, they would always tell me, you know, don't forget about the past, don't forget about the past. And it's not just the, the past 24 years, it goes way back way back. And, and I found this picture, and by the way, this is the first time I'm using a, a presentation deck, uh, which should give a good indication that we're moving in the right direction after <laughs> all the collective feedback that we've gotten. But, you know, almost 115 years ago, an organization was established, the McAllen Business Club, uh, which gave birth to what is now known as the McAllen Chamber. And this picture, you know, caught my attention, and, and I decided to take a snapshot of it and save it. Um, I'm sure it's very familiar to many of you here. That's Archer Park. It's, yeah. it's right across, right across the parking lot. At the time, the, the city of McCown wasn't even incorporated yet. 
uh, had a population of 150 people, right? 150 people. And I'm sure they still complain about traffic problems there. <laughs> Especially with those roads, right, that, that we see on that picture. But, but that's, that's where it started. That's where that growth began. And, and the population kept getting a little bit bigger. And uh, we started seeing businesses, small businesses, relocate to, to the main street, right? And we hear that a lot in different communities, you know, businesses on main street. And, and, and it was a natural progression. You know, we had those businesses develop and they all uh, were close in proximity amongst each other to be able to promote commerce. Casa de Palmas was built not too far away from there. And then in 1920, we had that uptick in population. And in my research, I found that uh, it was partly due to some uh, defense activity that was happening on the border. And so we had a, 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 an immigration of, of folks in the, in the forces that would come down. And I'm assuming some of them decided to stay. And, and that created a, an increase in population. And then in uh, 1970, is, is Zolta here, by the way? I think I just want to fact check, make sure that everything that I have on here is, is good and accurate. But uh, McAllen in 1970 was designated to be a, an agricultural oil and tourist center. And then the population also increased, so on and so forth. We started seeing these milestones taking place here in the valley as well as in McAllen. And it's really created what is now a, a force to reckon with. Uh, it's the center of the RGV, in my opinion. A population now with, with this uh, updated census numbers of 142,000 people, right? It's such a tight space, I would say. The businesses that we have now registered, according to the BLS, is 8,931, compared to the few that all conglomerated over on Main Street. So think about that. Now, to kind of put things into context of, of how much work is ahead of us as a chamber, as a community. Right now, our membership is about 1,200 establishments. So we've got a long way to go. And then another key data that, that we should be pointing out here is on the labor force. You know, we have 68,000, a little over 68,000 people that are in the labor force and, uh, and are ready to shift at any given time based on the, on the economy. So I want to be able to, to just ingrain these, uh, these points in your head a little bit because I will touch on the establishments once more. That 8,931, that number is going to come back. So while I was engaging with a lot of stakeholders, uh, I also came across uh, a couple things, right? And, and one of them being is, is this quote from the Association of, of Chamber of Commerce Executives. So it's, it's almost like the top of the food chain when it comes to chambers of commerce. And in their quote, they said, they all tend, and they're talking about the mission of, of chambers of commerce. They all said, they all tend to focus to some degree on five primary goals for chambers of commerce. So these are the things that typically chambers of commerce throughout the nation focus on. One of them is building communities, which we've seen a track record of, promoting communities, and we have a CBB on board that helps us with that and partnerships of the city. Ensure future prosperity by our pro-business climate, representing the unified voice of the employer community, and reducing transactional friction. In other words, it should be easier for us here in the community to do business, right? And that can come in the form of networks. So as I collected and, and digested all of this commentary, this feedback, and uh, all of the feedback that we received in staff, we really wanted to 
take a much deeper dive on what a chamber can do for the community. And one of the things that stood out the most from the stakeholders that I spoke to is that everybody had a hunger for more. That expectation was high. And uh, for a community of this size, the resources that we have, that's a very good thing to, to, uh, to aspire to. That hunger to, to see what else can we do that will set us up for the next five, 10 years. Given how volatile our economy is or our politics are, the chamber as a nonpartisan organization should have businesses dead center in every single activity that we do. And so we made these evaluations and, and we started making some, some fine tuning uh, activities in, in a lot of our core areas of what the chamber does for the community. And one of them is development. So we've, we've started questioning and challenging our membership department, which is now called the development department. And, and we did that intentionally because what we want to do is we want to change the way we think about memberships. When we are engaging with a business and we're encouraging them to become new members, what is that added value that you want to provide? What is that relationship that you want to establish with them? So instead of thinking about a transaction relationship, we want to think about fostering a true business relationship. And that entails having a strong, what we call in the industry, business retention expansion survey system or platform where we're constantly engaging with members, finding out what are some of those opportunities that they have, what are some of the challenges that they're facing. That's something that we want to be able to, to, to foster. That's the type of business that we want to get into. As we gain the trust of the business community, people talk. You know, people want to share the experiences that they've had with the chamber and, and be able to showcase to others what that value has been, what that ROI. And so to be able to foster that, we are also engaging on a different culture of continuous improvement to be able to ensure that every year when we start the budgeting process, we're able to take all of the feedback from the membership and design programming and resources that are 100% relevant. It's no longer a time where the chamber becomes the ears on the ground or, or the professionals on the field that say this is what the businesses need. We actually need to engage with businesses and allow them to say it instead of us as professionals assuming that these are the challenges that the business community has. So in government affairs, and, and Jerry's here as well representing the, the government affairs division, uh, we also want to make sure that we become a conduit to the business community, to be able to connect them with policy, legislative issues that, that may become a burden or may become you know, a, an effective uh, change in policy that will boost commerce uh, and the economy in our, in our local level. So being able to make those connections is, is extremely important for us to be able to change that mindset of what it means to be a member of the chamber. What we would like to do is for every member to think about the added value that they're getting when they invest in a membership, but also think about the advocacy that gets funded through that investment. Advocacy is extremely important. And as I mentioned before, the type of business that we want to do here at the McAllen Chamber is the kind of business where we're constantly answering phone calls, text messages, emails, constantly reaching out and understanding what is it that businesses are going through. You know, that, that is worth in gold. If we can't do that, it doesn't matter how educated you are, you become irrelevant. And, and we're public servants, and I mean that literally. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So I encourage you all, there's actually a 
legislative uh, activity that's coming up in February uh, 15, and that, uh, I'm sure Jerry would you know, hit me with, with her elbow if I don't mention this, but we do have McAllen Day at Austin, and we do have opportunities for folks that are in specific industries. I encourage you to reach out to Jerry so that we can develop this legislative agenda all together and be able to advocate it. The good thing about this upcoming legislative session is that we will also be participants of RGB Day in, in Austin for us to be able to do those strong follow-ups that are necessary to be able to push and advocate for some of these uh, legislative issues uh, that we need to be dead center uh, advocating for. As I, as I touched on, uh, on this subject as well before, tourism, we have the Conventions and Visitors Bureau component of the city within the McAllen Chamber. And it's directly funded through, the, through hotel occupancy tax revenues that hotels collect when people stay, and then they get distributed, or a certain amount gets distributed to the McAllen Chamber to be able to not only market the city as a place to, to live and play and to do business, but also to be able to assist the hospitality industry in ensuring that we maintain a consistent, um, healthy level of business all throughout the community of, of McAllen. And so being able to also apply some of the BRE strategies to constantly be, um, I always tell Alex says, you gotta eat, you gotta wake up, you gotta talk daily with all of your hotel partners because again, they're the ones that are telling you exactly what those challenges are. We can no longer assume that they need X, Y, and Z when we've not even talked to them about X, Y, and Z. And so being able to apply that should give us a competitive edge to be a better leverage for the hotel partners when it comes to getting more business. That, that's something that has to be dead center in this, uh, in this department. Now another component that, that um, you know, I've had a, a variety, a wide gamma of, of feedback when it comes to this subject, but economic development. A lot of people sometimes don't think about what a chamber does in terms of economic development. But coming from both worlds, I can tell you this right now, the chamber plays an important role in economic development for the community. Now, they may not do it as how we're accustomed to see it from our partners over at the McAllen Economic Development Corporation, but they still play an important role. Why? They have the business community at arm's reach, and the business community has an immense potential to be able to not only help the economy grow, but also make it more diverse and more resilient. In the year uh, 2020, when the COVID-19 pandemic was at its peak, there was a massive shift of mentality that took place in the country that steered away the attention from Wall Street to Main Street. And that's still going on. And that's something that, that we should all be extremely passionate about. So for our economic development department, we're focusing on supplementing the city of McAllen's economic development efforts in, in doing so by providing entrepreneurship, commercialization, and innovation programming to be able to help these businesses not only start, which is the surface scratching that we have been doing for several years, but to take a much deeper dive and be able to scale up to any level they wish to desire, right? And we're talking about a mom and pop that can become a brick and mortar, or that mom and pop that decides to license a franchise to be able to create one, to be able to produce something that they can mass produce through a manufacturing process, be able to engage them with traditional and non-traditional financing resources. The, the, the sky should be the limit here in the city of McAllen. We have all of these elements and resources that a lot of folks sometimes go to other parts of the country 
to seek for them when we have them here. It's just a matter of consolidating them. That's a low-hanging fruit. And as a chamber, if we truly have the heartbeat and the pulse of the business community, then this should be a very easy win that should excite everybody moving forward. Boosting these uh, small business development efforts, as I mentioned before, is going to help diversify the economy. We hear economic development often about you know, large manufacturers coming into the area. Well, guess what? In our backyard, we have companies that are at the cusp of just having that investment to start their manufacturing process and be able to create uh, in, in mass production similar to these companies that are receiving lots of public subsidies, incentives to be able to just relocate. And we all know, especially the folks here in, in this room, that those that are local, that started from the bottom, are better corporate citizens at the end of the day. They're the ones that are sponsoring all of these events. So it's imperative for us to be able to continue to promote that. Now, in some of the conversations that I've had before um, with different stakeholders, I've, I've brought up some stats. And, and I think the stats uh, give a much better story than all the rambling that I do. And uh, this is one stat that I'm extremely passionate about. You know, small businesses have accounted for two out of three jobs added in the past 25 years. This is information that's coming from, from the U.S. Census Bureau. But it gets more interesting than that. So I know that this is very unorthodox to do in a presentation. Don't just put a bunch of text on the slide. But I'm, I'm going to leave this here for a bit in case anybody wants to take a picture of that. But these are some very, very key stats that I think everybody should, should really ponder on and, and think about what the Chamber can do to be able to address some of this. So, out of this larger stat, 18.7% of U.S. employer businesses were minority-owned. Just look around you in the valley. 20.9% of businesses were owned by women. Just in McAllen alone, there are more women than men. The same is applicable for several cities in the Rio Grande Valley. Veterans. How many veterans do we have in this room? Veteran-owned businesses had an estimated almost a trillion dollars in receipts and almost $200 billion in payroll. Think about that. And then for Hispanic-owned businesses, they continue to have a growth in about 4.6% of, of, of businesses that are owned by Hispanics. Our Hispanic population is also growing nationwide, so this is trending at a, at a very fast pace. And they also made up 6% of all small businesses with an estimated close to $500 billion in annual receipts. And then we also have a black or African-American uh, demographics as well. They, they own businesses. It's about 135,000 uh, across the nation, and about 29.5% of these businesses. This is important for those that are in the, uh, I think I see DHR here as well as Maria. Thank you, Maria, for being here. 30% uh, of these businesses, healthcare and social assistance industry or sector. So think about it. What we have here and what that possibility can look like. A lot of these small businesses, they, they make it out on their own. I think it's a cultural thing of us to scrap every nickel and dime, tap into our savings, go get that credit card. Don't, don't talk to banks about loans, but try to make it with that grid and make something happen. And we see it. We see it here. We see those case studies. Hardly any assistance. What are the possibilities if we just engage with them differently to be able to accelerate that growth or help them get to that next level? And so the data gets even more interesting. And this is the one that really triggers me. And I think the chamber is well positioned to be able to do, do something about this. 
Minority firms are three times higher to be denied by a loan. Right? And, and we hear about that in our culture. We hear from our parents and our grandparents. They don't like owing any money to anybody, especially an institution. And so that starts impacting all of these other uh, key points. 33% you know, of minorities, I couldn't believe that there was a, a, a data set based on fear of rejection. But it's there, right? So as a chamber, what can we do to be able to support our businesses to understand what it takes to go through this process? And we have great bankers and great stakeholders and these financial institutions that are hungry to be able to provide that added value and be able to say, you know, this is, this is what we need. This is how a bank sees a customer. You know, what, what does it take to become bankable? And then the other one that, that really just drives it home is less than 1% of venture capital investment takes place uh, in minority firms. Absolutely wrong, in my opinion. And this, this last bullet point is really what's got me in trouble everywhere I go. <laughs> when, I, when I talk to the U.S. Department of Commerce and I'm knocking on their door for funding, and I always bring that up, they tend to always open their coffers. Right? And so the possibilities of what we have here and I think the, the fruit is so low-hanging that through the chamber, we should be able to start changing this culture. We should be able to start addressing some of these challenges. And our programming schedule, which a lot of folks are very accustomed to, you know, we have our power network sessions, we have our cash mobs that got featured in, in our social media, we promote through social media, we have our galas, our fundraising events. All of these things are great. It's part of what makes the chamber unique. But there's another stat that is floating around and circulating nationwide, and it's that people are not buying into the concept of memberships for chambers, yet they still want their chambers to be alive and well in their communities. That's a tough ask. That's a tall order in some cases. We in McAllen are very blessed because we are structured differently. We have different facets of the chamber that makes us very self-sustainable, and membership drives are, are really something that we, we don't necessarily have to prioritize, although we should, we should increase our membership, but we should be doing it the right way, instead of just looking at the numbers, look, about, look at the impacts that we're creating, of what that value is. And to be honest with you, if there's one thing that I've learned, and, and I'm not saying that it's a new thing that I've learned, because I've heard it before and it's been in the back of my mind, but there's no other city in the state of Texas like McAllen. Because McAllen likes to set the standard moving forward. So I encourage you all in this group to start thinking about what you can do to support the chamber to be able to start moving the needle together. Nobody in the staff is a silver bullet. I, myself included, we're, I'm, I'm only trying to, to expose the stuff that, that you all told me and how that connects with the data and the trends that we're seeing and how there's familiarity and cohesion with the, with the data that we're seeing here locally. And then looking at the track record that we have, we've done a lot of great things, but we can do more. And that's always gonna be my message every year. What can we do to do more? That culture of continuous improvement has to change. And not only do I ask you to participate to help us move this forward, but keep us accountable for it too. Keep my staff accountable. Ask them what else can you do? And I can guarantee you that this new this new era, if you want to call it, of, of the Chamber of Commerce here in McAllen is going to be a great one for everybody because we really need to set the standard. The economy is changing. 
that cost of living and low wage that I was talking to my good friend Steve from the Rio Grande Guardian here, that, that's bursting already. As a matter of fact, it, it has already burst. We can no longer tout that the cost of living here is low. It is lower, but you know how the economy works. And we can no longer say that there's cheap labor here. We have very capable individuals here for those good paying jobs that can come, but that can also be treated. Now, that's my message that I wanted to share with you all, and I'd be more than happy to entertain any questions.